This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex, and I am joined today by the full cast of characters. First, we got Evan Watkins. Evan, how you doing, man? I'm good. Our faithful IT department of Metasis failed us, so now this is take two. Uh, so, yeah, Matei is back joining us and back to unplugging servers. Matei, what do you have to say for yourself? I'm not much of the IT guy. I'm coming back here. I have uh, I have to reclaim my spot in this uh, quad of podcasters, and I'm already failing. So it's only up from here. Doug, are you going to eviscerate Marte in some way here, or are you just going to maybe wish him a happy birthday late? I, I did forget to wish him a happy birthday, but I just want to talk about our our listenership last week exploded without Mate on the podcast, which I don't think is a coincidence. The numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie. But hey, <laughs> the numbers offensively also tell a story. And Virginia Tech, quite frankly, following their first drive against the Richmond Spiders, left a lot to be desired. Gentlemen. People online seem to get very nervous about these FCS games, and for good reason, right? We look back to 2019, Virginia Tech losing in halftime against Furman. That year, they had two FCS opponents because of the ECU cancellation, and Rhode Island gave them three good quarters. I think all anyone wanted to see was a good old-fashioned whooping, the kind of stuff we would see in 2016, 2017, 2018, against the likes of William and Mary and others, where Virginia Tech walks in, it's a feel-good game, bring your family, everyone gets to celebrate in the streets afterwards and hang out in their college town. But that was not the case. So let's start really broad-based here. What is it in recent years about this team and playing down to their competition? Is there any explanation that we can think of outside of they're just not getting up for these games? Yeah, I think they're just not getting up for the games. You know, I think, uh, you know, when you look back at some of the ones uh, in, in more recent history under Justin Fuente, you could chalk that up to to probably youth to some of the younger players. Uh, and and this is this is not a young team. I mean, you have Tyrell Smith uh, out there. You have a, an upperclassman kind of laden too deep essentially i mean there's not that many freshmen that are out there really making plays right now for virginia tech so the fact that they can't get up to put away a team that's you know on paper they were more dominant than in every phase of the game uh you know if you can't get up for that i mean that that has to come back to one common denominator to leadership i mean i i think that uh, you can go back. I mean, you could go back before Justin Fuente and look at Frank Beamer had some issues against some teams, obviously the, the JMU loss. And, uh, you know, so that's not it's not uncommon for a team not to get up for a lesser opponent. But it does 
seemed to be a major trend under this staff. And when you have upperclassmen really across the board, when you have a leadership council, you have a group of captains, and you have very vocal leaders in the locker room, and you can't get up to, you know, you can't get up for a game against Richmond at home. You know, go back a week before, you can't get up for a game on the road against West Virginia. There's an issue there, uh, and, and that issue has to come back and land at the feet of the leadership. It has to come back to Justin Fuente and the staff. If they don't find a way to start getting up for games and starting fast, every week isn't going to be a top 10 game. It's not going to be North Carolina at home with a crazy crowd and, and under the lights. It's, you know, you're going to have your noon games. You're going to have your, your Richmonds and you're going to have your middle Tennessees. And if you can't put those games away, you can't get out of there healthy and you can't use those for what they really are of getting your younger guys, some reps, maybe padding some stats for some older guys and trying to get out with a win and, and stay healthy, then you're not really doing your job. In my opinion, Virginia tech has to get better there. I mean, it's, it's, it's unexcusable to not be able to get up for a West Virginia followed by a back-to-back, not being able to really get up and having a real ball game against Richmond. I thought Virginia tech would bounce back from that West Virginia game uh, and kind of blow the doors off, but, they there is still something majorly wrong, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But Evan, I, I can't help but agree with your assessment there. There are some people in this fan base, some people who would look at a game like Richmond and say, hey, a win is a win. There are some people who want to harp on every inefficiency, especially on the offensive side of the ball, and use that as a cause for alarm. So, Matea, I want to ask you, if that's the spectrum, where do you stand in it? I guess it really depends what your expectations are for the season. Do you think that Virginia Tech, and with the context of the rest of the ACC struggling right now, do you see them as eventual coastal champions? Because if so, then a game like this is very worrisome because you probably don't have an offense that can take you on those away road games later on in the season against Miami, Virginia, Uh, and come out with a win there. So I think, you know, in the context of this game, Virginia Tech tried a lot of things. Uh, Evan was saying, you know, they didn't get up, but I think that's giving Virginia Tech, like, way too much credit because so far this season, have we seen Virginia Tech fully up yet? Even against North Carolina, it was the story about the defense. Against West Virginia, it was a few lucky breaks. Uh, And then in this game, you know, do they even have the offensive firepower to put up that those kind of numbers that Virginia Tech fans wanted to see out of this team? You know, outside of three huge plays, two of them by Trey Turner and one of them by Tavion Robinson, I don't know how many points Virginia Tech would have scored in this game, maybe even, you know, less than that. So, um, yes, it is worrisome. I think A lot of fans are hoping that Virginia Tech will be towards the top of the ACC Coastal. They have uh, all the keys in their hands, but they have to figure it out. And right now they're just they don't have a formula. Every game seems to be different, whether it's the offensive line switching up in this game, whether it's the rushing attack, not getting it done. Braxton Burmeister overthrowing guys or wide receivers not getting separation. It's it's a new issue every single week. There needs to be some sort of consistency moving forward. Doug, I want to ask you, 
when you take the 10,000 foot view of a game like this, expectations matter. What you've expected to see in this game for Virginia Tech. So, with the information we had, those three big data points being North Carolina, Middle Tennessee State, and West Virginia, how surprised were you? How thrown off were you by the fact that they simply weren't able to put Richmond away over the course of four quarters? Uh, I was pretty surprised that, you know, they never put them away. I I, I did think it was going to be a slow start, a sleepy noon kickoff against Richmond. Richmond's a, a decent FCS program. Um, you know, they're a competent football team. You're not going to blow the doors off of them right from the get-go, but I, I definitely thought over the course of four quarters, Virginia Tech would pull away. Kind of similar to how they did against um, against Middle Tennessee State. And, you know, that, that just didn't happen. They came out, they looked great on that first drive, five plays, 65 yards for a touchdown. Great catch by Turner. They got him involved early. That was one of the things I wanted to see. And he obviously had a had a really solid day, but you know, punt, punt, turnover on downs, interception, punt, punt. Finally, in the third quarter, they get back and score their second touchdown. Um, I just, you know, it just wasn't there, and it was, uh, you know, you had to be disappointed in, in their inability to put it away. I mean, twenty-one to ten, they they let Richmond hang around and. You know, the, the longer that happens, the more you just think one bounce or one one lucky play, and all of a sudden you're looking at you're looking at a repeat of of JMU in 2010, or you know that Furman game in 2019 where things weren't looking good early. So, you know, definitely disappointed. I think and pretty surprised that you know Virginia Tech didn't eventually pull away. I mean, the story has to be the offense or lack thereof. And it comes down to the man behind center, Braxton Burmeister, 17 for 27, 212 yards, completing about 63% of his passes. He did not turn the ball over. He had one touchdown sacked twice there on, on the ground, 11 rushes for 35 yards. So nothing exceptional about this game at all whatsoever. So Evan, I want to ask you, let's do a little stock check here. Braxton Burmeister, how confident are we that he can be the leader of this offense that will allow Virginia Tech to be not only competitive once the heart of ACC play rolls along here in a few weeks, but really give them a chance to succeed. You know, I think it really comes down to if the handcuffs come off of him, honestly. I think, I've said this before, I think this is, I mean, it's my opinion. I think that the staff is trying to limit his exposure uh, due to the threat of an injury because behind him, they don't have much, you know, in that quarterback room right now that could step in and win an ACC football game. So I think they're trying to limit his exposure a little bit. I did like, you know, maybe one of my only kind of takeaways of him from Saturday was it looked like they were letting him run a little bit more of an RPO, an elongated mesh with the running back where he would then pull it out and hit some slants across the middle. I like that. I think that that is the game that he's comfortable with. Add in the fact that he could also take off and run and scramble on those. I, I love that ability in him. I think that's you have to play to that strength. You can't be scared of hurting him, especially now you're going into 
you know, potentially uh, another top 10 team, um, you know, coming to Blacksburg. And then you have ACC play after that. So you have to really lay your cards on the table. If Justin Fuente says, I want to win the ACC Coastal, you cannot hold him back from using his legs and play into his strengths. He kind of is what he is at this point. Braxton does not have the strongest arm. He can make some deep shots, but he's also going to miss plenty of them. Um, He has the ability to do some nice dump-offs and some check-offs to, you know, guys like Raheem Blackshear, the way he used to use James Mitchell. I think he saw the field pretty well there and let those guys go and pick up some yardage. He's going to always be a more a zero to nine yard thrower than a 30 plus yard thrower. Uh, in my opinion, I think that this, what this offense is asking him to do. Um, so I think he is what he is. I don't think we've seen anything that makes me say stock up, stock down. I think he's just simply what he is. And the scheme has to be built around him. Th- this Virginia tech scheme right now Uh, especially some of the red zone issues. You get into some of the other play call issues. I think it just doesn't play into his strengths. If you're going to do a a fake RPO where it's a give every time, that's not playing into his strength and letting him read the field and see what's happening. I like that they're starting to allow him to try that little pop pass that they used to do. I think that, uh, you know, he might be able to hit one of those. Uh, for a big gain, and if not, he has the ability to tuck it and run. I love that kind of stuff, and I, I really like that they're starting to let him do some RPOs. But if I'm Justin Fuente, and I know I have to make some type of change on offense, I mean, you can't get much worse than what Virginia Tech is at right now offensively. Let him play his game. Don't worry about what happens after that. Take all the handcuffs off, and let's see what happens. You know, is Braxton at his ceiling now or is he limited so much by the staff that we don't even know what his ceiling is? He has a limited arm. We know that. But can they scheme to fit his, uh, you know, to fit his style of play in a much better way while still, you know, maybe don't be as overly don't be overly risky with him, but let him use his best assets a little bit more. Let him move the pocket, let him run some RPOs, and just see what's there. I mean, right now at this point, Virginia Tech's got a a big matchup against Notre Dame and then straight ACC games. So lay it on the table, go for broke, and see what happens. I like the approach. I, I certainly do. And I think that's what a lot of fans were expecting this Richmond game to serve as, an opportunity to unchain Braxton in such a way that maybe we could test some things out as you mentioned before, get some younger guys involved, pat some veteran numbers, and and see what this offense would look like at full throttle. Unfortunately, we never got that opportunity unless this is what the offense looks like at full throttle, which would be discouraging to say the least. Doug, was there anything you saw offensively that we can spin to a positive against Richmond here? Was there any of that testing and implementation of new concepts that maybe we can walk away from this game and say, well, it wasn't great, but at least we saw this? I <laughs> not not completely. Um, they obviously were not consistent enough to put more than 
more than 21 points on the board. Um, the only only a couple drives there where they really had anything going. I will say Burmeister on you know some of those throws looked like what you would want him to look like. He was decisive, throwing on time and on target over the middle. Um, you know, the first play of the game, he rolls out and hits Turner on the run. A um, couple RPOs that he pulled back and fired over the middle, and he, you know, he at least threw the ball downfield. I think the first three weeks of the year, he didn't do that. Uh, obviously, that was a huge discussion point, and he took those shots, the, the completion to Turner. He th- gave his guy a chance. That w- that wasn't a wide open throw. Um, the pass interference to, to I think it was Robinson early early in the game. He, he was covered and he tried to get it in there. So, you know, I, I saw some positive things from Burmeister throwing the football as far as what it should look like and what it could look like. Um, but for the most <laughs> for the most part, that didn't last. You know, that's why it was only twenty one to ten. But you know, I, I think he started to show some flashes of of what it looks like when he's in c- complete control and he's confident and all that stuff. But, you know, now, now the goal is to, to get that over the course of four quarters and consistently, you know, drive in and drive out. I, I'm, I'm not sure that they ever get to that, but um, compared to the first three weeks, you know, I saw some throws where, you know, I, I thought it was starting to, you know, the light bulb was starting to turn on or flicker a little bit. Here's one positive I think I could come up with. Look back to late 2019. The setting, Scott Stadium in Charlottesville. Trey Turner has an 100-yard game. A stat that he will not recreate until this past Saturday against Richmond. The highlight of the game will always be that athletic catch in the end zone. So, Matei, I want to ask you. In the moments where this offense did look solid, it seemed like Trey Turner was at the center of it. Is this a message to Virginia Tech that we need to get big play Trey, a guy who has been a fan favorite since he came on the scene as a freshman in 2018, to be more of a centerpiece of this offense because they fed him and he was able to take advantage of those opportunities. I just don't think that's been there over the course of the last season and change. Do we need to make him a bigger part of this offense? Absolutely. And I think once you lose James Mitchell for the rest of the season, you're kind of looking for that next guy that can be the playmaker to make those big plays and to open up this offense that, you know, ranks towards the last and passing offense, rushing offense, pretty much everything is near the bottom of the ACC And Trey Turner came out and you think about his athletic grab, you know, he was wide open the play before overthrown uh, by Braxton Burmeister, but is able to go up, make an incredible catch. And then later on in the game, uh, make that 42 yard reception down the field where he said he was looking straight up and barely saw the ball. He's the guy that kind of has to unlock this offense because when you look at the rest of the roster, I'm not sure you can point to another player and say, this is a guy that really can unlock this offense. I like what they did with Trey Turner. He played a bit in the slot. And again, that's because James Mitchell was out of the game and out for the season, but they're moving him around. He wasn't really uh, in that 
jet sweep role anymore. They're kind of looking at him over the middle of the field, taking deep shots, running him across the formation. So they were doing a lot of different things with Trey Turner, and I think you just have to keep attacking him. Braxton Burmeister said after the game he loves getting the ball to Trey Turner, and I think that has to be the main connection here. That you know, If you want to get Braxton Burmeister going to get it to the guy that you know that is going to go up and make a play, give you that confidence to keep taking shots down the field. So Trey Turner is is the key moving forward with this offense, at least with the passing game. Evan, what was your take on the running game? Was there anything encouraging that we saw? I know that the offensive line was implementing a new lineup there, and with the injury to Dancy, you had to. But the strength of a Virginia Tech team that ultimately finished with a losing record last season was Khalil Herbert in the run game, and all indications through four games now is it doesn't even seem Virginia Tech scratching the surface of those production of the production that they got last year out of the backfield. Yeah, there was no positive takeaways in the run game for me. Um, I like over the course of the four games, I like the role that Jalen Holston has. I can say that. Um, I think Raheem Blackshear is a good back but I think he's so dynamic in space that he's kind of one of those little scat backs where you have to use him in the right way. You know, if you're going to run him up the middle, it's, it's not really worth it a whole lot of the time. But if you can get him out on the edge, uh, if you can get him isolated and get him the ball in space, I think, I think that's the best way you need to, to approach uh, Raheem Blackshear. And then I think, you know, Keyshawn King showed us such really big flashes as a freshman. And then, I mean, nothing has happened. You know, I know last year there was there were some issues. I get that. But this year he, he's back. He, he's, you know, he looks dynamite on kick returns. But he gets the balls a running back and it just it, it's it's not natural. Like something is something's missing something is not there from what what was there in the past so you know I think I think Jalen Holston is a good back I'm not going to say he's anywhere near like an elite back I think he's a good college back that can get you three to four yards he can pick up the tough first downs he runs hard uh you know he he knows how to he knows how to get to the edge when he has to get to the edge and he knows how to uh, how to move the chains, and he knows how to get into the end zone when uh, when they're in that range. But outside of that, I don't see a lot of natural posi- anything natural at the position right now. I, I think it's interesting, you know. We haven't seen Marco Lee take a handoff yet. Um, we haven't seen any of the freshmen. Obviously, Malachi Thomas has gotten a huge praise. We haven't seen anything out of him yet. I think it's time. I, you know, with with King not showing much right now, maybe make him a kick returner for the year. I mean, figure it out. Whatever's going on there, maybe figure that out after the season because something doesn't seem right when he uh, gets the ball in the backfield. And then with Blackshear, you I understand you have to you can't just straight scheme him. Teams will pick up on that, uh, but maybe limit the amount of three yard rushes you're going to get out of him to try and get him in space where he can pick up chunk yardage. I think that's definitely where his niche is, whether as a, as a back or as a slot receiver, get him in motion. 
And then maybe start trying to roll with a guy like Malachi that everybody raves about. Maybe give him a chance. Maybe give Marco Lee a shot. This was the last game against Richmond was the game to try that stuff before you go into ACC play in Notre Dame. But, you know, the offense can't get much worse. The run game can't get much worse. And I understand shuffling the O-line. I get it. But it's not like you shuffled the O-line with guys that have never played the position before. I mean, you you moved Lasitas to, to tackle. And I get – I think that was the first game he'd ever played tackle. I, I get that. I can understand it. He was a tight end when he came in, went to left guard, and basically stayed there. But you have – you know, you got Johnny Jordan has played guard and center. Brock Hoffman's played guard and center. Caden Moore stayed in the same place. Luke Tenuta has a few years of experience at right tackle, and they just looked awful. I mean, there's no real way to sugarcoat that at all. The O-line looked awful. They looked out of sync. They looked like they didn't know what they were doing. I don't know if that's lack of preparation or shifting players around or what. But at the end of the day, the team's only going to go as far as the O-line goes, and the run game's only going to go as far as the the O-line goes. So, you know, I think that getting Silas two weeks off uh, before Notre Dame is good. Get him back in. Get him back at right tackle. You know, I don't think he is the best right tackle out there, but he's probably the best they have. So get him back there. Keep Caden Moore, in my opinion, is just going to continue to get better each and every week. It may not be enough to notice game in and game out, but with more reps, he's going to get better. Get Brock back at center, you know, uh, flip Tenuta back to left tackle, get Lasitas back where he goes. I think if you can find a way to keep that core healthy, that is uh, that's your best shot to go on through through Notre Dame and through the ACC. One thing I find to be particularly interesting, and I'll go back to last year around this time, when Khalil Herbert was putting up those fantastic numbers out of the backfield, I would always say, when comparing his numbers and whatever records he sets or puts within reach of himself, you have to consider that Virginia Tech was playing in all ACC schedule last year, with the exception of that Liberty game that happened later in the year. Right now, Virginia Tech, who has faced two on paper formidable opponents in North Carolina and West Virginia, as well as two games that, quite frankly, were supposed to be patty cakes coming into the season, that being Richmond and Middle Tennessee. The rushing output through four games versus last year, less than 50% of the overall number that run game Really, really struggling. But, Doug, I want to turn to you for this one. The goal for the game against an FCS opponent is maybe see what you have in the younger guys. You want to walk away with the game early on and give the backups opportunities to shine. Unfortunately for Virginia Tech, the game was too close to the grasp of the Richmond Spiders for them to do that in any full send sort of way. But is there anything that you saw from younger guys that may have had an opportunity against Richmond that impressed you? Something that gives you a little more confidence going forward? Uh, I'd say not really. Uh, Cole Nelson flashed a little bit, I'd say, defensively. Um, You know, Pay, they got him 17 snaps and a a couple targets, I think. But 
you know, he's you're still waiting for him to come along. They talked about on the press conference today. It sounds like Jalen Jones has been hurt for basically the whole year. And, you know, Lofton was the one guy Fuente said hasn't been hurt. And he's the guy that, you know, gets like a handful of snaps every game and is is hardly targeted. So, you know, I I, I definitely think out of there's there's been plenty of disappointing things about the first four games of the year. And yes, for Gene Tech's three and one. And that's pretty much what you would have won all you could have expected coming out of these, these four games. But just the, I, you know, the inability to bring along those those younger guys, particularly against Middle Tennessee State and then against Richmond, I think is a real is a real problem. You know, they, they've essentially got three wide receivers and that's it. Um, Evan talked about the running backs. You know, they've got three average to above average running backs. And the question is, when do you bring along Malachi Thomas or Marco Lee or Kenji Christian or any of those guys? Um, they kind of had that opportunity here the first four games to, to to try things, and they just weren't good enough to to do that. I think I think that's one of the big storylines from this kind of first chunk of the season. Matei, Doug is right. I think that if you asked anyone in this fan base before the season started and said, you will get out of those first four games, three and one, will you take that not knowing what the alternative might be? Most fans would say yes. But the mood right now is certainly somber following this Richmond game. Of course, the result against West Virginia didn't help at all whatsoever. So through four games right now, what grade would you give this coaching staff on the job the team's done so far? That's really tough. I would say somewhere either a C plus, B minus. Obviously, you beat number 10 UNC at home, and that win looks so much greater week one than it does now, seeing that they lost to Georgia Tech. Uh, But this offense might be the worst offense under Justin Fuente in his entire tenure at Virginia Tech. This might be the least talented offense in his tenure at Virginia Tech, and it might be the worst coached uh, offense in his tenure at Virginia Tech. There's just not a lot of great things to say about the offense, whether it's play calling execution or just overall talent level of everyone, no matter what position group you look at. And I think heading into the season, there was a lot to like, a lot of familiar faces on offense. Uh, you know, a lot of big quotes in the offseason that we heard from Justin Fuente saying this was going to be, you know, the best. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He's felt about at least the, you know, the passing game since he's been here um, and it just hasn't panned out. Now, defensively, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Justin Hamilton, you know, after coming in last year, being barely able to implement his scheme, uh, you know, going through coaching changes in the offseason, going through, you know, getting graduate transfers to come into the program, losing NFL guys all over. 
Uh, I think he's done a really good job defensively. Uh, at least the defensive line looks much improved. The linebacker play was much improved, at least this past week. Uh, and the secondary looks pretty great, considering that, you know, they're not giving up a lot of big plays. It doesn't look like the defenses of old, they were getting torched by the opposition. Now you can't say too much about Richmond or Middle Tennessee State, um, but at least what they did to Sam Howell uh, and West Virginia for the most part uh, in that second half, the defense is really the the one carrying this team. And I think most people, when you look at Virginia Tech heading into the season, it was offense, offense, offense. Nobody really gave the defense a lot of credit Sure, people thought they would get better, but I think the story thus far, why they're 3-1, and one, is because the off, the defense is keeping Virginia Tech in a lot of these games, and the offense is clawing away when many thought that this offense would be putting other teams away. So I want to jump back into big picture stuff in a minute, but while we're on the topic of the defense, I mean, they allowed 10 points to Richmond. Hard to complain about that. Richmond offensively was relatively inefficient and the story was Virginia Tech's offense's inability to put them away so Doug looking at the defensive performance on Saturday did we learn anything more about this defense that maybe we didn't already know or is it kind of just an FCS game the way that you wanted to feel about the performance holistically but unfortunately the offense was unable to do and that's why our conversation is so somber right now the defense did exactly what they were supposed to do and had to do, and that's what you wanted to see there. Um, I think they were helped out a little bit by Mancuso going out with a – it looked like he shattered his pinky or something on the first first run of the game. Uh, you know, Bo English clearly not as comfortable or as confident as, as I think he would have – Mancuso would have been for, for Richmond. But, you know, I think it was a – a workmanlike take care of business performance there. You know, Virginia Tech's offense was not giving the defense any help, um, any cushion, any any reason to relax. And, and, you know, the defense took care of business. I think when you when you look at, you know, your leading tacklers are Tisdale Hollyfield and Jamari Connor, that's pretty much who you want your leading tacklers to be week in and week out. So, um you know, take care to took care of business. Won the game, kept U of R off the board when when the offense was, you know, essentially begging Richmond to take the lead. So, uh, you know, a, another impressive performance there coming off. You know, they got off to a slow start last week against West Virginia, but then the second half really really locked down. So, you know, that's that's you know three and a half full games of really good defense from Virginia Tech in the first month of the season. You know, I think they're up, they're in the 50s, I think, for yards per play allowed, which is an improvement of like 45 or 50 spots over last season. So, you know, I think the defense is definitely going in the right direction. Back to the big picture here. Going into the season amongst the fans, amongst people who surround themselves with Virginia Tech football, Justin Fuente's job status obviously was the hot topic of conversation. And I think it was easy at that time to put a number on it. Six wins, he's gone. Eight wins, he's safe. Seven wins, we have a conversation. 
Now Virginia Tech's got three wins already. You know that Duke and Syracuse are games that, at least on paper, still should be won. Now those teams have showed more promise than maybe we would have expected. However, I think losses to Duke and Syracuse at home would be dooming to this coaching staff one way or the other, regardless of how promising these teams might be. So that being said, we will maybe fatally assume five wins already, which means to get to seven wins, you really just got to beat two of Notre Dame, Miami, Pitt, UVA, Boston College, Georgia Tech. I don't think a lot of people would be satisfied with that. Has the bar changed here? Is this going to be less about a number of wins and more about how the team looks in the process throughout the journey that is the remainder of this 2021 Virginia Tech football season? Yeah, I think I don't think you can put a number on it. You know, I was I've been talking to some people over the last few days and it's interesting. You know, you kind of get lost in the weeds a little bit when you cover a specific team of their pros and cons. But the ACC as a whole, I mean, it stinks right now. It is not out of the question to say a 21 to 10 win over Richmond team might go on to win the ACC Coastal. I mean, it's not outside of the realm of possibility that Virginia Tech wins the ACC Coastal. Uh, So I think that has to be the goal. That has to be the mindset of the coaching staff, and that has to be the expectation of the fan base. You fall short of that in a year where everybody looks, you know, awful for the most part in, in the conference. You even have, you know, you have, have NC State knocking off Clemson. I know it's on the other side, but you even have games like that. You have Florida State looking abysmal. You have Miami. Who knows what Miami is doing? And I, the minute I think UVA is playing good football, I think that they're not playing good football. So, I mean, really anything can happen right now. I think the expectation has to be ACC championship game for Virginia Tech. They hold the keys. Uh, and everything's in front of them. You already knocked out who everybody thought going into the season would probably uh, be in the ACC championship game. So I think you don't lower your expectation. I think that's something that a lot of Virginia Tech fans have done over the last few years. Don't lower that expectation. Virginia Tech, the expectation of Virginia Tech, especially this year, should be win the Coastal, and they have every opportunity to do it. Uh, And now it's just kind of putting all that together and see if they can. I don't know if you can say, you know, Virginia Tech wins seven games, but those seven games are enough to win the ACC Coastal. Uh, And you go in and you play, who knows, from, uh, you know, from the other side of the ACC, and you, uh, you know, you play a formidable game. Maybe even you win it. Heck, maybe you go eight you know, you win eight games by winning the ACC championship game. It's not going to be really unheard of because everybody is really kind of bad at football right now in the ACC. So I don't think you put a number on it. I think, you know, if there is a number on it, Whit Babcock's the only one that's going to know that. I think players, fans, and coaches alike need to have the expectation of the ACC championship game is up for grabs and Virginia Tech has the you know they hold the cards right now to be able to get there and that should be the expectation for the season 
Okay, so let's turn this into a little roundtable discussion. We have a little more time left, and we don't have a game to preview for next week. So let's look at that coastal. Georgia Tech has lost to Northern Illinois. UNC has lost twice, including to a team that lost to Northern Illinois. Duke, supposed to be bad, has lost to Charlotte. Pitt has lost to Western Michigan. Miami got taken care of at home by Michigan State and barely escaped App State. And UVA, though offensively, may look like the best team in the division so far, clearly has deficiencies on the defensive side of the ball. Wake Forest exposing them last Friday. Right now, today, who's the favorite in the ACC Coastal? <laughs> uh, is there a favorite? Can you actually name a favorite? I, I don't think so. Uh, I don't know Mate where you would go. Virginia Tech. Matei saying Virginia Tech. I see his mouth moving. Matei says Virginia Tech. I don't believe oh. that. Yeah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> I I think this is the year that we get the illustrious seven-team, seven-way tie at four and four in the Coastal. And who knows what happens with the tiebreakers. Um, yeah, I don't know. I could say I think Virginia will get better as the year goes along defensively. I think Pitt will get better. I think Georgia Tech obviously is getting better, and if Jeff Sims played like he played against Carolina on Saturday night, they're going to be they're going to be tough. And, and then we'll and then we have to see if Virginia Tech gets better. I'm not convinced they will improve all that much, but it won't take much improvement to to win the coastal. Um, eight and four, five and three probably gets it done. To go back to the last conversation, that probably keeps Justin Fuente's job, but. Um, yeah, I think I think it's a race to race to five wins in the in the coastal, and it's going to be an up and down, wacky, <laughs> ugly battle. And then the way things are going over in the Atlantic, you'll probably play like nine and three Boston College, and it'll be a, a very sparsely attended ACC championship game in Charlotte. But um, yeah, I, did I answer your question about a favorite in the ACC? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little bit with, the, but I'm going to give three teams I think could potentially be in the race right now. As I think is Pitt, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. Virginia's, I don't know what Virginia Tech is going to do moving forward. I really don't. I don't know where Braxton's going to be. I don't know what the offense is going to look like, if there will even be an offense. I have no idea because it's been abysmal so far. But they already beat. North Carolina, you already got that one, that one and zero. Oh. So I think that really helps things. Um, Pittsburgh is just—I don't. There's something about Pitt that I think, I think they've got a shot. And UVA, their offense does look really, really good. But their, I mean, their their defense. Uh, I saw somebody say over the weekend um, they couldn't stop a nosebleed if they tried, and, and I think that's I think that's accurate. So. I don't know. I think, I mean, Doug, I think it's going to be a sprint. But I think those three teams right now, if I were, if you were to give me a, a three, three team, three chances to pick who's going to win the Coastal, those would be my, my three right now. Well, if we need the answer to how to beat Pittsburgh, look no further than Tim Lester, head coach over at Western Michigan. He has the secrets to the trade 
in that regard. Matei, do you have an answer for us on this one? Man, I don't know. ACC sucks this year. I mean, Wake Forest looks like the only legitimate team on the other side. Everyone else just should give up now. Florida State is just laughable at this point. Um, kudos to Syracuse, though. They had a big win over Liberty. I know that's not ACC play, but uh, in terms of the ACC Coastal, I think Miami is kind of sneaky. I know they look terrible so far, but look, they lost to Alabama. They barely beat a good App State team. And Michigan State is number 17 in the nation right now. So it's not like they're playing bad competition. Um, I know they played like Central Connecticut State or whatever, um, which is a free win. But Miami could be one of those teams that, you know, they, they can make a run at it, too. So I think everyone has an equal chance. Duke is probably at the bottom of the barrel. But, I mean, every other team looks like they can feast on each other and, uh, I mean, I really don't know. It's it's going to take a lot from a lot of these teams. Everyone has pros and cons, so no no team is perfect in the ACC Coastal, nor are they ever. You know, yeah. I, I want to add it, a little bit too. You know that that Georgia Tech game the other night. I mean, Jeff Sims, what a what an athlete he's kind of turned into. You know, like did you all did you all see him the other night? Like he was. He was a good high school player, and he goes there, and they're changing their scheme, and they're doing all of that, and it's kind of like he kind of gets lost in the wash. And then you see him the other night, and it was like a completely different football player. Like he he's got a he's got a chance to be pretty special and turn that Georgia Tech program around. It's definitely interesting, and I'm kind of with Matei on this one, where I don't think we should be sleeping on Miami because of the level of competition that they've played. I know that Virginia Tech fans especially love the idea that Miami comes into the season ranked 15th overall as usual, and then they flounder their way through the first month of the season. But this isn't about being number 15 or 10 in the country anymore. There is a very good chance that the winner of this Coastal Division isn't ranked going into that ACC championship game. And it's going to be about you know, not necessarily looking at the wins and losses on the schedule as we proceed forward here. And we could say Virginia Tech's strengths might have matched up well with, at the time, North Carolina's weaknesses. And even though North Carolina should be on paper a better team than a group like Pittsburgh, maybe Pittsburgh's strengths match better against Virginia Tech's weaknesses. And that's a game that we need to temper expectations for. And that's going to be a week-by-week thing for the next two months as we follow this team and as we try to constantly reset and readjust our expectations on a week-to-week basis, because that's how it's going to be. It is going to be week-to-week, and that should not be a surprise to Virginia Tech fans because for the better part of truly what is the last decade in the ACC Coastal, that's how football has been played here. But my last question for you turns to the other side of the ACC, and that's with Clemson. They lost to North Carolina State. And I had a friend who was at a bar here in Blacksburg, and he was texting me, I don't know why Virginia Tech fans are so keen on watching the demise of Clemson, because it's not like when Florida State was going down and Clemson was coming up, and there was a clear successor to be a potential college football playoff team or a national championship contender that can just take that reins. Because right now, Clemson has... What I would define as a a pretty poor chance of making the college football playoff, and if they slip up 
at all again, that chance is effectively eliminated unless we have an undefeated Wake Forest team. The ACC is unlikely to be represented in the college football playoff. Is it smart for Virginia Tech fans and fans of the ACC in general, whether it be Virginia Tech or any of the 13 other member schools, to be to be rooting against Clemson right now? Do we need a legitimate team in this conference? Yeah, you do. You do need a team in the conference. Um, now, I think I think uh, fan envy is very real, uh, and obviously Clemson is the cream of the crop. I mean, for what Virginia Tech was when they entered the ACC and went on that run of ACC championships, that's what Clemson kind of took over and took it to the next step and getting to the national championship game, winning some national championships, and really kind of taking, in my opinion, a foundation that uh, you know, Florida State and then Virginia Tech really had of ACC dominance, building upon that and taking it to the next step. Uh, they have made the ACC seem better in the last few years when the ACC has not been very good. I think the ACC is at their best when Clemson, Florida State, Miami, and Virginia Tech are playing uh, above average to great football we haven't seen that in a long time uh but i think that that's when the acc is kind of at the cream of their crop uh you know obviously you have the sec which is a monster in its own but i think if if you have those four teams playing at an elite or a, a an above average you know top 25 level uh i think you uh i think you have something there as a conference add in maybe an nc state or a unc getting ranked uh, maybe a Wake Forest playing their way into a ranking. I think, I think it can only make the ACC better. But I do think there's fan envy of what Virginia Tech was turned into what Clemson has been. Uh, but Clemson made it better. I mean, they they took uh, the ACC by storm, essentially, flipped the tables completely, and were untouchable for years. Uh, so I think it's I think it's natural for fans to want to see the demise there and see, you know, the, the greatness fall in. Um, but I don't think it's good for the conference for that to happen as without an elite team to step up and, and take over. I mean, if we're talking about a seven or eight win coastal team, probably being the, the champion uh, of the coastal side, who knows what's going to happen on the Atlantic side. I mean, it just, it's not a good football conference when that's the conversation you're having. You need a very good Florida State team. You need a very good Miami team. You need a very good Virginia Tech team, and you need a very good Clemson team. The rest of the conference will, will fall where they will, but the conference is at its best when those four teams are playing good football. And right now, none of them really are. I mean, F Florida State, good God. You know, they, they look awful. Miami, who knows? Virginia Tech, the offense has not shown up for 2021 yet. Uh, and the same with Clemson. I mean, Clemson, their biggest issue, I've said this for two, two about two years now, their biggest issue is the offensive line. They have 
you know, you, you lose Trevor Lawrence and bring in DJ, who was one of the best quarterbacks in the country. You got great skill receiver, skill players. You got Will Shipley. You've got, you know, a, a bevy of five star players. Their O line is not getting it done. Their O line has not been getting it done. They haven't been recruiting the right players for that O line, in my opinion. And I think we're starting to see the fruits of that now. Um, maybe it will equal out the ACC a little bit, but there's nobody stepping up to take over the throne. Now, could that be a team that, you know, maybe a Miami goes on a run or a Virginia Tech goes on a run? You know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. But I think the the conference overall is at its best when those four teams are playing elite football. And, and this year we're seeing all of them stink it up real bad. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Uh, you, you need, I mean, just from a sheer, at a simplest level, you know, you got to be in the playoff to be a relevant conference and to get all the financial stuff that comes with the playoff. But, you know, they you, you got to have somebody to chase. And if everybody's eight and four, nine and three, you're not really chasing, chasing much of anything. Um, I think Clemson's going to be fine. They've recruited at a high level to, to recover. Um, I think they're getting a nice dose of what happens when you go from having Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence as your quarterback to literally anybody else. Um, clearly the offensive line is a, is, is, is a bit of a mess. Um, and that's, that's a bit a big, been a big reason for that, but you know, they'll probably recover and, and the talent will take over and, um, they'll still have a nice season. But as far as ACC goes, you got to, they need a they need a program to be competing at the CFP level, and it's pretty clear here in week four that that's not going to happen this year. Yeah, and, and I certainly would say that I have always been against the fact that the college football playoff has become the main storyline, you know, starting week one. But unfortunately for a team like Clemson and with the slate of ACC games that they have to come, you get that second loss, and it's really a question that we have to start asking. However, I've enjoyed this conversation that we've had about the ACC because while the first 30-some-odd minutes of this podcast were about as negative as it can get following a win for Virginia Tech, just talking about what's going on, essentially everywhere else that remains on the schedule has inserted some positivity into the conversation that things aren't going great, but this team and of course this coaching staff has an opportunity here two weeks going into a big game against Notre Dame, who, by the way, we had their doubts about them too, but a good showing at Soldier Field against Wisconsin. And now suddenly their stock has risen. They're a top 10 team. And you know, it's so week to week, especially where so many fans are at this point with this coaching staff. But if we can somehow manage a second top 10 win under the lights at Lane Stadium on the national scene, <laughs> it's going to be hard to <laughs> for to eviscerate this coaching staff any further. I mean, I, who knows what could happen after that, but they have a great opportunity against the Notre Dame team. That's good, but still clearly vulnerable. And uh, it'll provide for a great uh, conversation next week when we're previewing that game. But gentlemen, 
Good conversation. Last thing I'll add. Special teams at least look good. Shout out Tavion Robinson. Punt return touchdown. ACC Specialist of the Week. Pete. Oh, Pete needs to work on his right arm a little bit. But <laughs> but but good punter. I just don't think he's going to be throwing many more passes. Did he put the ball in the air further than Braxton Burmeister did at any point that day? That is the question. <laughs> no, that was a any, terrible any, throw. <laughs> any point in the first three weeks, yes. <laughs> could Peter Moore out throw Matei? Yes, he could. Yeah, probably. Probably. He was throwing he was throwing all week. They saw something on film. I feel bad for Dorian Strong though. <laughs> uh, he was wide open. He would have had a walk in touchdown. You know, I mean, he was already thinking about his in zone celebration. Man, it could have been two special team touchdowns on the same day. That would have I mean yeah, yeah. Peter Moore never throw again. Who, who was who was more open, him or Drake Dulius down the sideline for <laughs> Oh my touchdown? I'm glad we brought that one up too, because that was uh, we oh. could have gone through quite a few throws that were uh, just airmailed. I, I think if you throughout flip this game. the two, if you flip the two throws, I think Pete Moore hits Deluise, <laughs> and, and, and then I think Burmeister hits Dorian Strong. Just, just, just an idea, she best. <laughs> do a do a tearaway jersey uh, Goldberg style from the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> Good Lord. Good Lord. Well, we got plenty to talk about next week, my friends. Notre Dame coming to town. Enjoy the bye week. You guys got any bye week plans? I'm going to Nebraska. I'm going to go see another uh, football program with a coach on the hot seat in Nebraska Northwestern. You guys got any big plans? I was going to just ask you that Nebraska almost got a big win to to up the ticket prices a little bit. Did we did we already make the purchase? We're out at forty one dollars. Forty one dollars. A good spot. Good spot for me right now. (laughs) All right, gentlemen. Other than that, I don't have any plans. All right. Well, enjoy the bye week. Enjoy a a weekend without stress, hopefully. I don't know if you guys do the gambling. There's no weekends without stress if you do that. But uh, we'll be back (laughs) next week. Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoot 24-7 Sports. Notre Dame coming to town, 7.30, a week from Saturday. Should be a good one. Enjoy your bye week, my friends. Until then, go Hokies. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.